Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey everybody, Bailey Hancock here, and you are back for another episode of The Bailey Hancock Show. We have a really exciting guest today. Her name is Laura Youngkin, and she is a fellow multi-passionate like myself and probably a ton of you. Um, She is a producer, a creative consultant, and also the creator of The Brave Millennial. I'm going to let Laura tell us all about all of those things. So welcome to the party, Laura. Hi, Bailey. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. So for everybody out there that doesn't know Laura, um, but you should, now you will, Laura started her career, I guess one of the last pieces of her corporate type career was with Disney as an Imagineer. And that's one of those jobs that people just seem to have on their vision boards of cool jobs to have. So I want to learn how you went from undergrad to landing at Disney, all the cool stuff in between, and then we'll go from there. Great. I'll try to give you the short version of this story. Um, So I'm just a girl from Dallas, Texas. Um, I grew up in the suburbs of Dallas. I grew up always being in the arts. And in Texas, the arts are really competitive, just like sports. So they kind of train you to be like the best at violin or the best at choir, the best at theater or whatever. So I grew up in the arts. I was always in performing dance, theater, music, et cetera. And I always knew that I would work in the entertainment business from like a, from a very young age. I don't know how I came by that clarity, but I just knew. So in college, I went to Baylor University. I stayed a little bit closer to home. My dad was battling cancer when I was in college, and so I didn't want to be really far away. Um, So I went to Baylor, and I was a theater major there, and about halfway through my time at Baylor, I realized that I was going to have to broaden my scope a little bit or like reconsider how I was going to make a living in the world um, being, being in the arts, and I had always kind of pursued that work as a performer or maybe dreamed of being a director, maybe a writer, not really sure. But I realized, you know, kind of halfway through, like I've always been kind of naturally the kid who was in charge of the group project, right? No. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you can Laura probably and I have a lot in common. Right. So I always found myself kind of like moving into these like um, you know, leadership roles. And I'm really good at visioning and coordinating and managing and, and like really executing on a creative vision and being able to see all of the different parts and pieces that need to fit together in order to make something happen. And I was lucky to get an internship working for a Broadway producer in between my sophomore and junior year of college. And I did that two summers and it completely changed my life and my path. Um, it was really tough. I mean, I made $100 a week, no joke, living in New York. I made $100 a week. I lived in a co-op above the theater, which was in Times Square. Um, it's one of the oldest. It's still there. It's now a hotel, sadly. But at the time, it was one of the oldest still operating theaters in the district. It's where Rodgers and Hammerstein set at the counter in the Lambs Club in like Rote, Oklahoma. Like It has a lot of history there. So I lived in a room with another girl in a co-op on top of the theater. And then I worked at the theater six days a week. And that experience totally changed my life. And the wonderful woman who runs um, that company named Carolyn Copeland, she's a producer, and she really mentored me into that space and said, you are good at this. It's instinctual for you. I think that you should consider pursuing this professionally after school. And what were you doing at the theater? 
So at the theater, I was assisting Carolyn. She had a few people on staff. We produced a comedy festival that summer. She had uh, a big off-Broadway show that was going on. And so I kind of filled in the gaps wherever I needed to. Uh, I ran the box office. I, I helped produce the comedy festival. I was the production stage manager on two of those shows. We developed a new touring show, which then I worked on that tour for a couple more years, actually going to like really random spots throughout the U.S. So it was like a pretty quintessential New York theater gig. I kind of did whatever was asked of me. So whether that was like completely relighting, rehanging and circuiting and cabling like a brand new lighting system for our theater um, or, you know, hosting out of town performers, you name it. We, the six of us, there were like six interns that summer. We kind of worked as a team in that regard. And then I also shadowed Carolyn on a lot of different things. And that was amazing. She she provided me a lot of opportunity between that time and, and the time that I moved to LA. So that was when I kind of decided like, all right, I'm going to be a producer. I need to figure out what that means. Um, and the word is so ambiguous still. People are like, oh, I was going to say, I, what does that mean? Tell us what exactly that means, because especially in LA, you know, it gets thrown well, around a lot. Right. It's all over the place. I mean, we could talk for a whole hour about all the different types of producers. A lot of movie producers or kind of entertainment producers, the way we think about it in the mainstream entertainment business is really people who put up the money um, to make something happen. So a lot of it, a lot of producers are actually just investors. And then there are other producers who are actual, I would say, um, like show makers, people who lead and create and make and shepherd and really produce like a final product of some kind that can then be marketed and sold. Would you, and, would you refer to producer, like say a show as a company and a producer as the CEO? Yes, CEO or COO. So somebody kind of actually thing. running stuff, not yeah, just Yeah, someone who runs stuff and who like manages a staff and helps cast and helps really par partners really well with a director or whatever kind of creative capacity in the theme park business. It's different than it is in the movie or TV business. Um, but, a but a leader and, and really someone who's responsible for delivering on the creative vision and getting whatever you need to make that happen. So a good rule of thumb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just get shit done. And it's really about like, what is, what do these people need in order to make this the best absolute version of this thing that it can be? And that means that you are both at, have a seat at the table at a very high level. And you are also like in the trenches, like dirty work. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be willing to do both. So producers take on a lot of different forms, um, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And there's a couple of uh, master's programs in the U.S. at Northwestern, Columbia, UCLA, CalArts, USC, and they are producing programs um, for, for different aspects of the entertainment business. And I thought that was really interesting. Now, flashing back to like the late 2000s. Um, we were on the brink of the Great Recession, right? Like everyone graduating from college in 06, yep, 07, class of 07. <laughs> class of 07 too. And it's really, it was a really dire time. Like no one could get a job. It didn't matter if you were like pre-med or pre-law or whatever, an English major, like no one was getting a job. Um, I went on job interviews in DC, Chicago, Austin, Dallas, and jobs in the arts at that time were really hard to come by. We were on the brink of financial collapse. And so 
I feel like everybody just went to grad school because there was nothing else to do. I mean, I, I knew I always wanted to go to graduate school because I still envision like being in my seventies and like teaching college. So I knew I needed a master's degree. I didn't think I would do it right after undergrad, but it was just kind of the way the cookie crumbled at that point in time. I interviewed at a lot of different schools and uh, I ended up falling in love with this weird little hippy dippy artist enclave um, in Santa Clarita, California, about 35 miles north of LA. And um, it's called Cal Arts, California Institute of the Arts. And I got in and I loved it. And so about three months after graduating from college, I packed everything that I could fit into an SUV and drove it to LA and never looked back. So about 10 and a half years ago now. Okay. So Um, phase one. Phase one. Got it. Yeah. So figured out I wanted to be a producer in college. Then I moved here. I'm in the producing program at CalArts. And I was like, well, I've never really been interested in working in film and TV, but I'm here. So I better learn this side of the business uh, while I had the opportunity to do so. So throughout my time at school, I worked uh, several jobs just to like pay the rent and like you know, put food in my mouth. Survive. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I did tons of internships and tons of like production work and PA work and worked for producers, agents, managers in a variety of different fields. Um, the writer's strike happened during this time. I can't remember exactly what year that was, but it really changed the TV landscape for a few years. So there wasn't a ton of scripted content and reality TV was booming. I wasn't, to be honest, really interested in working in reality TV. So I tried it out for a while and was like, eh, yeah, I just don't feel like this is for me. Like I love theater. I want to get a job working on, you know, something big, whether it's like the Olympics opening ceremony or a theater company or um, something where there's a live component or an an immersive storytelling component. Mm. Um, And that is when I kind of turned my sights to working for Disney because A, I was graduating from school. I had been working in TV um, for a producer and I did not love it. And I wanted to change. I also, you know, had school loans and for the first time ever was like, maybe I should get a like nine to five job with benefits. Of course, no job is nine to five, but I was really looking for some stability in my life after having kind of been on my own since I was 18, doing seven years of school, trying to provide for myself and kind of learn this industry. Um, and so that brings me to a really fun story that I, that I think Uh, I love telling this, especially to college students, because they always ask me, like, how did you get that job? Everybody wants to know. I know. So I didn't get my job at Disney through traditional channels whatsoever. Uh, Imagineering is a really tight-knit, kind of secretive by nature organization. Uh, It's an old organization. It's about 65 years old, started by Walt as an extension of the studio when he decided in the 50s that he wanted to build Disneyland. He knew he needed kind of like a special laboratory for that type of innovation. So he started Imagineering. Um, it was called Wed Enterprises. It's had a lot of different uh, evolutions since then and a lot of different leadership, but it's essentially the part of the Walt Disney Company that governs and designs, creates all the theme parks, hotels, resorts, any type of like physical Disney experience you're going to have, uh, they work on it. Mm. And so, so perfect for what you want to do. So to. perfect. I mean, and so cool. They have a huge live entertainment group and, um, And so I did some research on the organization and was like, oh, wow, they have this big live entertainment arm. Like, that would be perfect for me. I wonder if I know anyone there. And of course, I didn't. 
Um, and at the time, CalArts and Disney, despite the fact that Walt Disney started CalArts in the 60s, um, when they bought the Chouinard Art Institute um, and renamed it, we didn't have much of a relationship, not in the way that, that the school and the company do now. And so I was kind of at a loss. I was like, how do I get into this place? I've applied on the website. I've stalked people on LinkedIn. Like, I don't know who else do I need to write to? Like, what do I have to do to get just a phone call back? And this was at a time where like, I was on the job hunt hard. I was interviewing at agencies, production companies, networks, and finding it really challenging to get in. I went to a, um, I went to an interview at one of the top four talent agencies to work in their mail room and then eventually get on an agent desk. And, um, the woman told me that they didn't want anyone with a master's degree working in their mailroom because we all leave. And I was like, Oh my God, how, why did I just spend all this money? And like, I got turned stuff. down for bad jobs too with my master's degree. And I was like, what have I done? I took it off my resume for a while. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I thought that this was looked good for me. I guess not. I don't for know. Like risk. I guess. And so I was really like, just feeling discouraged. And I was like, I'm going to have to do something kind of drastic, I think. So I, I am I'm a pretty strategic, like networker relationship builder. And I was like, all right, I got to find another way into this place. So over the summer, um, after I graduated CalArts, I don't know if much has changed in the last few years, but CalArts IT was pretty old school. Like we still did class sign up on paper. Like you had to oh, go wow. on a class sign up day and like talk to your professor, they sign a piece of paper, then you stand in like an hour long line to like register. Like it, it was very old school and the IT was pretty, you know, eighties. And so over the summer I was like, you know, I used to work in the advancement office. I had two work study jobs, alumni relations and advancement. So I had access as a work study student to all the fundraising and alumni databases for the school. God, they're probably going to call me after this. <laughs> they, they're officially shutting those they're, files they're down. Right yeah, they are. So I went up there over the summer, um, on a summer Friday and was able to get into the office through some smooth talking to the security guys. And, um, I still had my school ID and I was like, I'm just going to try this. And so I went on the, my old computer, my old like student computer, and I logged in and my login still worked. And I ran a database search in the alumni and fundraising databases. Like I had done a million times before for other outreach reasons. And I just ran Disney, Pixar, Imagineering, you know, Tim Burton, et cetera. Any, any alumni associated with the company, I ran the list, I printed it, I took it home and I spent two weeks going, there were hundreds of names on the list. And I spent two weeks researching every single one of those people. Now, some of them were no longer with us because the list was very old. Um, but I basically made an Excel spreadsheet. So I put in everybody's names and then I just started with an internet search. And over the, the course of those two weeks, I whittled all of those names down to this one guy. He was about 20 years older than me, CalArts alum from the directing program, had had a very lovely career in like professional regional theater, and now was the vice president of theatrical development at Imagineering. And I was like, oh, well, that's my guy. I got I to gotta talk to this guy. So I was like, well, I just need to get like an informational meeting with him, and then I'll ask him a million questions, and I'll figure out my next step. So this was in summer of 2010. And... Um, 
I wrote to the head of alumni relations. She didn't know him, but was willing to kind of make a connection on, on my behalf. He asked me to send like an actual snail mail written letter in the mail, <laughs> which I was like, oh, okay, old school. So I did that. I feel and, like that's just on pace with the analog like way that you went about this. Anyway. Right? It was. <laughs> it was. And you know, now actually I, I still do a lot of things analog, which I think there's some merit to. We can come back to that. But um, uh, she wrote to him and then I sent the letter. And then a few weeks later, I got a, a phone call from his secretary, also very old school, to set up an informational 30-minute meet and greet for us. And I was like, oh, great. I'm available literally anytime. <laughs> yeah, I'll take off work. I will do whatever I have to do to be there. And so, um, and so that meeting got set and then it got pushed like by four weeks, like five months in a row. Ugh. And once I was on the inside, of course, I realized like why those things happen. Um, I traveled a ton when I was working at Imagineering and the executives also travel so much. And this particular person is on the road constantly. And so um, that meeting kept getting pushed, but I was very diligent. I followed up with his secretary either by phone or by email every other week for a almost six months just to confirm that like this meeting was happening and um i was very persistent with them and i honestly think that at the end of the day they were like can we please just hire this girl because she's right. not going away we should just put her to work um but eventually that meeting happened um and this mentor of mine brought his um brought his producing partner to the meeting and it was supposed to be like a 30 minute meet and greet turned into a two-hour meeting and i walked out with my first job wow just, it took um, another yeah. What role did you get? So I I was I was nothing. They were like, well, we don't really hire people into this group, but like you've been out of school what uh, half a year? Maybe you could still be our intern. And in my mind, I was like, Are you serious? Like I've been an master's degree. <laughs> I've been an intern for like eight years. Like I, you know, I have done a million internships. I have a master's. What are you talking about? And then he told me what they were paying hourly interns who have graduate degrees. And it was more money than anyone had ever paid me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, oh, you can call me whatever you want. Yeah. Well, that's what I said. I was like, <laughs> I'll be anything. I'll be your, I'll be your intern. I'll be your grandma. You can call me <laughs> literally anything. And they laughed and they were like, okay, great. Well, we'll get the paperwork rolling to the ball rolling to figure out if we can bring you on as an intern. Um, and so I just didn't care about the job title because it was the way in. And the only other way to get an internship at Disney is to be a part of the Imaginations program, which I was not. And so I felt like I had to just jump at this chance and like let ego and all of that like fall to the wayside, um, which I think is good advice in general. For It totally is. And that, that comes up a lot in these conversations is the people that were able to set their ego aside for a bit to just get in, get a foot in the door, get some experience, even if you weren't making jack shit for money, they ended up ultimately succeeding because of that. Right. Well, it's just a way to start kind of building a foundation. You build relationships, you meet people, and you get to work on some cool stuff. So um, so that took another three months and I had to also be very persistent about like, when is this happening? Like, when can I resign my other job? Like, I need the paper. Oh, so it was another three months until you even got to start. It didn't even happen right away. So that, so Ugh. three months later, finally I started. And that first year that I was there was a really like magical time in my life. It was really challenging. I was the first person in this role. So I had to kind of like build the role from scratch. 
A lot of people didn't really know what to do with me. It was a huge corporate, like behemoth place to try to understand. I had to learn a culture. I had to learn the way that they communicate, the vernacular, all these people. I'm talking just so many people. And um, it was a lot to navigate. I was tasked with some like pretty big projects, like right out of the gate. Um, I made a ton of mistakes. I failed a lot. I pissed people off. Um, <laughs> and I learned how to go back and correct and take responsibility and apologize and correct, redirect, whatever I needed to do. I had an amazing boss. Um, and he's someone that I'm still close with and has been a great friend and mentor to me over, over the last seven years. So um, I met amazing people. The first year was great. I was in the live entertainment group. After a year, I hopped across the street to the more attractions um, focused group that does like the big theme park stuff. And that was fun because it really is kind of a top secret laboratory. I mean, I remember being a kid watching the Disney Channel in the 90s and the Imagineers would come on and talk about what's going on at Disney World or Disneyland. I thought that was so cool. So it was fun to kind of peek behind the curtain and see 140 different disciplines of arts and sciences and engineering kind of merge. Um, and that, those five years changed my life. I met my husband at a party I wasn't even supposed to be at because I crashed it. I'm, I feel like there's a theme with you, Laura. <laughs> you a give little yourself bit. an invitation and then you make shit happen. I, I can't. I, you know, I'm not, I used to, I don't know. I maybe the older I'm, never apologize for that either. I've gotten maybe a little bit less like, uh, I don't know. I was really good at it in my twenties. I just kind of knew to play the card. I was like, Oh, I'm not invited to this party, but like, I can just play this, the, I'm young and I'm new right. um, and I will just apologize. I did learn at Disney that it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Otherwise you'll never get anywhere or get anything done. And that's almost in any business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a really magical time. It was like going to design school and business school all in one. And I found myself uh, working on the core creative team for the big avatar project that uh, was just open earlier this year at Walt, at Walt Disney World, and that exposed me to all types of new products and inventions and development. I mean, I learned everything I thought I would ever need to know about the construction business. <laughs> um, I worked on a huge robotics project, and it really challenged me to be a continual learner, but also to kind of take all of my theatrical skill sets, collaboration, mostly skill set, and kind of be able to apply it to any task at hand. So whether we had, I mean, some of these budgets were huge, um, but it's like, how do we spend this like behemoth amount of money? Um, that behemoth amount of money still was never enough for like what we were trying to accomplish with all the people that we needed to work with. So I had to learn a lot. It was just like a continual learning curve. Um, the whole time and it was steep and um, I met some really really amazing people and I'm really grateful to have had that experience. I can only imagine the the interesting and brilliant humans that come through those doors. Amazing and also genuinely like wonderful human beings and um, and so I'm grateful to still have those relationships. I've also learned that those those types of relationships transcend uh, geography and they transcend like whether or not you work at the same company. Um, well, I think that's something people often forget about their jobs is you never have to let go of those connections of your former no. colleagues, your bosses, your mentors, the people below you. Like that becomes your foundation of your connection, of your it does. network. 
I'm also a big believer in like the loose connection, right? Like you, maybe I worked with someone or maybe I met them once or maybe I didn't work with them at all. And later on the road, I find them and we know the same person or we connect and that's how opportunities manifest themselves. And so that was probably the best part about being there. Lots of travel, a lot of exposure. Um, and yeah, just a serious amount of learning, like intense, intense amount of learning. And to be honest, an intense amount of personal development. Um, it really like, you know, there, you change, um, as a, as an adult, I felt like that was a huge kind of transition into adulthood for me. Trial by fire, um, is a very refining experience. And so I feel like I came out more, uh, more myself on the end of that. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it absolutely does. Those are some important years. So, how long did you end up being with Disney? What what age did you move on to your next piece? So, I left at thirty. I was there for five years. Um, I left at thirty, and and so the last two, almost three years now, have been um, like a totally different adventure, like a completely unexpected thing. Because <laughs> this is um, where this is what I love to hear about is. When you're on such a clear, even if it, it doesn't seem clear later at the time, if you think, oh, I'm definitely on this path. I did this. I got this degree. I went to this company. Now I'm doing this and I'll probably keep doing this. And then you take a sidestep or oh. you side street and you like go a different direction. I love those stories. So, Oh man. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got it for you. So <laughs> I'm, I can totally t- relate to what you're saying. I was always, I mean, as a producer, I mean, my job is to like make the plan, work the plan, like mitigate risk, anticipate people's needs, anticipate problems, be in front of everything. And so I've always really, you know, uh, I have always been a real hustler, I feel, and I really had a plan and a vision and I worked it and I got where I was. I moved through the organization. Um, and I kind of ended up where I was at the age of 30 because I had worked really hard and, and pushed to be there. And so when the time came for me to leave, and to embark on something different, it was a disruption in my plan. <laughs> and so, um, and so, without you know going into it, I kind of had to make a decision unexpectedly to choose whether or not my husband and I, who he was also working there, whether we were going to like both keep our jobs or we were going to cohabitate for two years. So he was being sent to Florida. And in the end, I was going to be held back. And we just decided we've only been married for a year. We're not going to live apart for two years. I would rather be married in 20 years, frankly, and have that relationship than like, I don't know, have a credit on a theme park ride somewhere, to be honest. So um, it was a tough time though, because I really had to look at like, um, what is more important for me in the long run? Like not just now, but like in the future, what is, and and how is this going to impact my career development or where is this going to lead me? And as a woman too, um, I didn't think at 30, like I would be kind of already pigeonholed into the, like, you must choose family or career situation. Uh, that's a whole other conversation, but the feminist in me was like really struggled with this decision. So I chose to resign. And uh, that meant that I was 10 days later, literally, I picked up um, and moved to Florida. And I lived in Orlando, downtown Orlando for a year and a half. And while Dylan worked on this project, and then we came back to LA about six months ago. Um, but A, leaving my company and B, moving to a new city and C, 
having no idea what I was going to do next, um, kind of threw me into a tailspin. That was a lot of uh, upheaval. It was a lot of change in 2015. That was a rough year. I also, the stress of like making this decision, which drug out for many months before I finally, you know, we as a couple decided what to do. Um, the stress of that situation just made me sick. I mean, I had a stomach ulcer. I had a lot of health problems. I was not sleeping. Um, it was a really rough time in my life. And so work and life all bled together and I was not at my best at all. I wasn't healthy. I wasn't doing the best work I could be doing. Um, And so all of that upheaval, it took me time to frankly recover from that. And since I left home to go to college, I have never had a break. You know, in school, I worked three or four jobs. I had to pay for school. I had to keep myself afloat. And so you know, working to support yourself while you're in school is a challenge. Lots of people do it, but it's a, it's very time consuming. And, um, and then as soon as I got the job at Diz, I was just like working like crazy. So I never had taken a break. Like self-care was not in my vocabulary. It was not a thing I did. Um, I pushed it to the max all the time. And I think after like 12 solid years of doing that, my body was finally like, Hey, you're 30 now. (laughs) this isn't going to work for you anymore. So when we got to Florida, my first line of business was frankly like getting better. Like I had major digestive health issues going on and I had to heal myself, like literally heal myself inside out. And so I started there. Um, and I actually, you know, you know, Florida, I found it to be a, a strangely very restorative place. Like I totally get why everybody retires there now. Yeah. It's um, humid. So like your skin feels nice. Oh my God. All the time. It's like sunny all the time, except yeah. for then it downpours in the middle of the day, which it's it it a restorative thing. It's it like, is. Hey, two hours from two to four every day. You it can't rings. do anything else. Okay. So take a nap, relax. It's awesome. Right. In LA, it's like, you feel guilty if you stay inside or you're not go, go, going all the time because it's oh. so pretty out. I know I've been here long enough that I'm over that now, but I'm yes, I totally, I totally understand. <laughs> but Florida was so restorative. So I kind of had some choices. I had a few job offers from companies in Florida, but to be honest, I felt just like I needed a break. And for the first time in my life, I could actually take one. I had the luxury of saying like, I might take like three months to myself and like figure out what to do excuse me, what to do next. It was like the end of the year. And so, oh gosh, I think I'm going to get the hiccups. Sorry. Sorry, babe. (laughs) Excellent. This is real life. I just guzzled like so much sparkling water before we got on the phone. (laughs) What are you going to do? Um, so it was at the end of the year. And so I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take some time and figure out what I'm going to do next. So I thought about it a lot. I talked with a lot of mentors um, of mine, and they all gave me, of course, like various advice. Um, but everybody said, like, take this moment to like take a step back, and for once, think about what do you want to do. Like, you clearly weren't always happy in what you were doing. If you could, nobody is though, right? Nobody right. is. But yeah. like, rewrite the script. Like, what would it look like for you if you had to just like start fresh? And that was just something that like, that's not intuitive to me. I didn't know how to do that. So 
Um, so I decided, you know what, I am going to start my own creative consulting business. There's a lot of potential clients here for me in Florida while we're here. And I'm just going to try my hand at this and see where it goes. So that was the first line of business. I opened an LLC. I learned how to do that, start a small business. I learned a lot about consulting and I just kind of launched into it. And that is what I'm still doing now. Um, and it's really fulfilling and great. And as you know, it's both challenging, but also incredibly rewarding to just be the master of your own work and schedule and, and things like that. So that was the first decision. The second decision was to kind of embark and act on a kind of a creative social justice, like activism kind of deep seated desire that I had, which was to really understand what's happening in our country for millennial women at work. And it's so interesting now. And I was going to say, because this was what, two years ago? <laughs> this was. So it, it's almost been two years. So in early 2016 in January, I, um, with the help of a, of a friend, launched the website for the Brave Millennial and kind of got started on what that was going to be. It was always envisioned from, from my perspective to be this project. I'm going to I'm going to, this was my pipe dream. I was like, well, I'm a producer. I bet I could go around the country and host events. And I bet I could talk to like, I don't know, maybe 200 or 300 millennial women. And I bet I could go to at least like eight or 10 cities. And I really want to know like what's going on with millennial women at work. I felt like in the entertainment business, I had encountered just so much sexism and, you know, it's it's on a spectrum. It's like from sexual harassment all the way to just like people interrupting you in meetings and people stealing your ideas and people being disrespectful of you because you're young and female. Um, I had a boss once that told me, you know, Laura, you're really good at what you do, but at the end of the day, you have to remember that you're young and you're a woman and there's just certain things people don't want to hear from you. <laughs> and I've never clearly forgotten that quote. And it it just kind of like spurred this desire in me to be like, man, Entertainment is kind of a tough gig for women, but I wonder if like women working in healthcare or insurance or manufacturing or tech or the law or all these other industries, I wondered what was going on for them and particularly women like mid twenties to mid thirties. And so I kind of dove into a lot of research, a lot of big consulting firms, Deloitte, McKinsey, PwC, a lot of firms do millennial insight surveys every year. They put out big, you know, data reports and, and strategy reports on like the state of millennials around the world. So I dove into those and they were all really helpful, but they all lacked story. They lacked connection. They were just hard data. It's just hard data. And it doesn't really like connect you to a real person's experience. And so I crafted, um, I crafted this survey and with the help of a friend kind of did a pilot pilot event in like March of 2016 in LA where we invited a lot of our friends to gather together about 30 women and they took about a 65 question survey before they came in the room. We crunched all their answers, mostly qualitative, but looked at, at the trends and the, and the insights. And then we crafted a three hour conversation based on what we'd heard and, um, and hosted them for like wine and food and really tried to create. And in the end, I think I did create a safe space in all of these different cities I visited for women to talk about in private, frankly, what we're all talking about in public right now. But even a year ago, we weren't. Yeah. And so when I started this project and people were like, well, why are you doing this? And I said, well, 
I've seen a lot of really kind of gross stuff going in, in the entertainment business and I want to know if that's happening elsewhere. And I also want to empower my peers to know that there's strength in numbers and that if we get all this out in the open and we really talk about it, even though we all feel shame about it, which we shouldn't, if we talk about this, we together can A, support each other and B, come up with solutions and ideas for really enacting meaningful change. And yeah. so in one way, somebody the other day was like, Laura, you were kind of ahead of the curve on this a little bit. I'm like, yeah, but not, but not really. I mean, women have been dealing with all this stuff from like time immemorial, but yeah, I really wanted to like dig up some of that dirt, frankly, and get it out there so that we could talk about it. And it's just not something you, we talked about. It was always in private. It was never in public. It's not something you want to admit. Oh yeah. I've you know, dealt with horrible gender discrimination or people have said awful things to me um, about my appearance or the sound of my voice or, you know, whatever. I've seen and experienced myself a lot. I knew that for other women and particularly my peers who are women of color, there was like a, a monumental um, barrier there for a lot of them. I wanted to learn more about that. So I raised some money like I would if I were doing, you know, a film or something else. I raised some money and I kind of just set out with this goal of by the end of 2016, I wanted to go to as many cities as possible, host these events and collect these insights and all this data. And so that's what I did. I did 11 events over the course of about 10 months, which I'll never do again. <laughs> and it's hard to be the like executive producer and star of like the same show on the same night. It was really challenging. I was very fortunate. I had great sponsors. I had a lot of help in every city. My amazing husband went with me many times to just like do the grunt work of putting these events on. Friends in every city turned out to help and also to attend. Um, and it was one of the like biggest adventures of my life. And I met amazing people and we talked about really, really hard topics, not just what it's like to be a young woman in the workplace, but also like what's going on in our world. In 2016, we were in the middle of a contentious election. Uh -huh. So that also shaped our conversation. Like what is our place in the world? What is our place for like moving society forward? What are we going to contribute? And it was incredible. I think one of my biggest takeaways that I wasn't expecting to find is that everywhere I went, you know, I, I had a plan for the night. And by the second half of the evening, we always organically moved into like wherever this group wanted to go. Every, every city was different. But every single city, no matter where I was, the group of women in the room who come from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, like you name it, all of them organically the attitude shifted to like sure we've experienced these things these are our challenges or our barriers but what are the big problems of this world and what are we going to do to solve them like they all wanted to take ownership and responsibility of like making the world a better place not just for themselves but for everyone mm -hmm. and that was really really inspiring for me that's like a that's a that is a to me now like a bona fide trait of that group of women. And they are the most educated group of women in history. And so there's a lot of value and a lot of merit there, but, and the ideas they came up with, the empathy that they practiced and, and showed each other. Um, there were a lot of tears, a lot of laughter, and also a lot of people um, learning and, and learning and 
hearing the stories of someone really different from them for the first time. Hmm. Uh, in Texas, I was in Texas for three events about three weeks before the election. And I was really nervous because we are talking about a lot of issues that have now become very politically charged. And that night in Dallas, which was the event I was the most afraid of, was probably the best night of the entire tour because women who are really different from one another and have really different or, or thought they had really different views from each other came together and realized that they are way more alike than they are different. And that was pretty powerful to watch. That's amazing. So what happened after it ended? What next? So it ended. And after it ended, I kind of had like, you know how after a wedding or like a big moment in life, you have kind of like a little yeah, bit of like, major come down. Yeah. It's like, what do I do now? So I had all this information. I had all this photos and video and I have all this stuff. And so I was like, well, in 2017 and beyond, my focus needs to be like getting this story out there. That's my job now. I need to like take these stories and create them and make them into something. And so, um, so that's what I've done in 2017. It's been a more, for me, inward facing year um, because I've basically taken, I, last year I was on the road and I was just talking to people constantly and being very like outward with my work. This year I focused on telling this story and other avenues. So I went to South by Southwest and did a session. I've spoken at a few colleges, uh, the story conference in Nashville, a few other like speaking engagements at companies privately and other places, podcast interviews, stuff like that, where I can just talk about like the value of millennial women and the things that I learned doing this tour. Um, so that's kind of what this year's been. I've also done a ton of writing. And so I've taken um, some of these stories that I've learned and I've composited, composited them into different avenues of storytelling. So um, I've worked on a book proposal which is really challenging and been a really interesting, a new learning curve. Um, I have a couple of writing partners and we have been working on turning this concept of like, how do we show millennial women being people of value into a scripted television series? And that's getting traction and that's really exciting. Um, Excellent, because that is so needed. It is. And at the core of what I do, like I still want to make entertainment. I want to tell stories, I, whether it's on TV or in a theater or wherever. I want to do that. And so I want to find a way to merge like my passion, which is, you know, women, um, and my other passion, which is storytelling into the scene. I want those worlds to collide now. I mean, and that's the scenario in people's careers, especially for multi-passionates, because yeah. a lot of times, if you do have a lot of different skills and talents and interests, they don't always intertwine. I think mm -hmm. it's more common to not than not have them intertwine. So for you, what probably started out as a completely different path because it didn't have anything to do with production or entertainment mm -hmm. or anything you had done in the path in the past, to be able to find a way to merge them together is really beautiful and exciting. And that's kind of, those are the career yeah. moments you live for. You do. And it's also um, terrifying. Sure. Like, <laughs> I mean, it is, it's great and also um, has been really scary. And I think this has been the year where I had to look inward instead of constantly being on the go and constantly being outward facing. I had to look inward and say like, what's holding me back from pushing this work even further? Like what's holding me back from even pursuing other goals related to anything I've ever wanted to do? Why am I not working on those things? I had to kind of unpack that fear. and. 
um, and really face it and be like, oh, I'm not going to be governed by this anymore. I'm not going to kind of let this like rule me or the decisions I make or the creative risks that I try to take. And so do you feel like that's partially being in your 30s too? It is. Because I feel that way. It is. Um, I've crossed the threshold into like, I don't want to say I've crossed the threshold into like not giving a shit. It's not that. It's just that you realize that other people's visions for you or other people's opinions about your capabilities or your um, capacity for whatever you want to do in life really doesn't matter. Um, now, in order to get anywhere in life, right, we all have to convince people along the way that we're worth listening to or we're worth partnering with or working with or paying attention to, right? So there's that's part of it. But I remember as a young woman, I mean, having been in the arts, you're always kind of subject to like coaching and scrutiny. And I'm sure it's the same in sports or anything else, right? You have a coach, you have a director, you have whatever. They're giving you feedback. All the way through high school, that feedback was intended to make me better at what I was doing. Like, like, right, the assumption was you're good at this, but I want to train you and coach you and help you and mentor you to be even better at it. Mm. In college, I experienced a real shift from that that type of academic environment to, well, you're not really good enough. You don't look the part, you know, you're too short, you're too fat. Um, your voice is too weird. Oh, but all of my acting teachers, um, chairman of my theater program. I mean, you know, I encountered a lot of critics along the way, you know, you're too bossy. You talk too much. You have you, whatever. I mean, well, I got lots of that. <laughs> Maybe some of those things were true sometimes. That's fine. I was kind of obnoxious in college, I'll admit. But like, I always had, I was very, very ambitious and I wanted to work hard and I had, you know, vision for what I wanted to do and be in life. And along the way, I've had a lot of adults in positions of power, which as a kid, you're taught to trust those people, right? It's like adults giving you advice or telling you what to do is pretty much everything. Right. So um, until I became an adult myself and I realized that I can just give myself that advice. Um, well, and also that adults don't actually know what's going on either, well, <laughs> which is a terrifying and liberating thing like, to learn. I don't why. I mean, I, as a college student, I look back on my time in college and I was like, wow, I let a bunch of like middle-aged white men tell me <laughs> what I could or could not do with my life. Right as if they had some sort of like definitive playbook for what I would be able to accomplish. And so, you know, a lot of my fuel, I think throughout my twenties was just to like prove people wrong. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just not out to prove anything anymore. Like I've proved to myself that I can do it, that yeah. I'm capable, that I am capable of learning and still growing and evolving. I'm capable of making horrible mistakes and figuring out how to like learn from them and accept them and push beyond. And you didn't die. I didn't die. Yep. Um, and along the way, I've also, I think, been able to make contributions in meaningful ways and build great relationships. And so I'm in a totally new like zone of life and it's a much calmer, um, it's a much calmer place, which is nice. I'm probably more confident too, in a whole new way. Totally confident and also totally, I'm just way more comfortable with like, oh, well that thing, I'm totally terrified of doing that thing. I don't even know if I can do it, but I guess I'll never know unless I try. Yeah. So for me, 2018, my number one goal for 2018 
is to basically do and attempt to do a lot of things that I've always wanted to do creatively um, that people told me I was not good enough to do or that I would never succeed at. And uh, I'm just not going to. What's gonna on the list? What do we got? That. It's a lot of stuff. It's mostly to do with writing and creating. Um, and then I'm producing. I'm going to produce this um, produce this big summit for leadership um, this summer. Can't talk too much about that yet. Um, so I'm still doing some production work, but it's really more about like how do we gather people? How do we how do we take these small brave millennial conversations and make them bigger? And then I'm doing a ton of writing. I've got some columns coming out in digital outlets in 2018. I have no idea what I'm doing there. Never thought people would give me space to write or share my voice, but I was like, mm, I'm just going to ask. And they said, yes. So what do you do? I you mean, yes. And you figure it out afterwards. If, you, right? if, if the listeners take anything away from this conversation, and I hope all of the conversations I'm having is the worst that people can say is no, you don't know until you try. Even if you fail, you're going to most likely survive it. Oh, it's yeah. going to be fine. Well, what is the Bailey Hancock um, motto? nothing lasts forever, good or bad. This is true. Yeah. yeah so I, forever, good or bad. I think about that all the time because, um, it's not that this isn't like challenging. It's challenging all the time. Um, you know, running a business and then also having creative endeavors, trying to keep clients happy, trying to bring in new opportunities. I'm doing a lot of work in the diversity and inclusion space right now with what's going on in Hollywood. And that work is like emotionally laborious. Like it's not, a walk in the park, but I'm much more like well-equipped at this part of my life to work on some of these things and find more fulfillment in doing that. Um, and I also know now, and I think we don't know this when we're kids, but like, this is just a season. Yeah. Oh, you know? I think about that all the time. All of this is, it's just seasonal. Everything's cyclical. Even with you, yeah. I think you're, you know, roughly like not even 15 years into your career. And You've had highs, you've had lows, you've worked at Disney, and then you didn't, and then you started <laughs> your own thing, and then you did this amazing work, and now you're doing something entirely different. So I think people need to remember that it, literally nothing is forever good or bad, and that can feel pessimistic in some respect, but I think if you consider the fact that when things are really good, pay close attention to why you're so happy and why mm -hmm. it feels so good, because that will help inform your future decisions. And when things are bad, cling to those good moments and remember that they're just around the corner because that's just the way the world works. I totally agree. Like you and I, I mean, imagine what we're going to be talking about two years from now. Who even like freaking knows? Who knows? <laughs> and I think if there's anything I'd want, and I say this to young women a lot when I do talks is like, learn the earlier that you learn to just embrace uncertainty and like go with the flow. Um, you know, keep your ambition and keep your vision and keep your direction. But the better you are at like being flexible with what happens, the better off you'll be. Those are the people who I think are the most successful. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. I'm, I'm just in the middle of this phase. Well, and, and I think it's okay. we'll, we'll always be in the middle of some phase, right? And <laughs> right. So, it's a pretty okay place to be right now. Yeah. No, I think you're doing wonderful, fulfilling, exciting work. And I love watching everything you do because it's always done with gusto and with passion and with a tenacity not often matched. 
Thank so. you. Likewise. Okay. <laughs> well, I think this is a perfect place to wrap it for today. Right. I can't wait to have you back in a year and talk all about the amazing things you've That's done good. in the last year. But I'll make sure to link to everything Laura's up to in the show notes and we'll keep you posted on all of her exciting new things. Perfect. Thanks, Thanks Bailey. Appreciate so it. Wonderful. Bye. Bye.